This morning we're finding ourselves in chapter 11 where we talk about the two witnesses, two witnesses. Now I'd have to believe that anybody who has um, received Jesus Christ as their Lord has been born again wants to be a witness. We'd want to be a witness. We'd want to testify to what the Lord has done in our lives. But also who Jesus is and what he has done, not only for us, but for everyone who would receive the message. Don't we want to be witnesses? I think, I think that would be true in our hearts. Someone once said that, what do you get when you take a Jehovah Witness and mix it with uh, a liberal Presbyterian? What do you get when you take a Jehovah Witness and mix it with a liberal Presbyterian? You get someone who knocks on their door but doesn't have anything to say. You see, liberals, people who don't believe the Bible, they don't have anything to say. The best that they can do is what? Be nice because it's, it's good to be nice. That's, it's just pablum. It's only people who believe the Bible. We have something to say. I mean, we've got a witness. The problem, however, is what? The problem is that oftentimes when we start to witness, people look at us as if, uh, what are you saying? especially when we begin to talk about the second coming, especially when we talk about the end of this age, especially as Pastor Rob was talking about last week about the Antichrist, the who? That there's going to be a Jewish temple, the what? And Jesus is going to come back and judge the world and the, the millennium and eternal. What do you, they, you know, like going back to that, my favorite movie, they look at us as if we have lobsters growing out of our ears. What are you guys talking about? That's unbelievable. That's, they won't say that to our face oftentimes, but you can see it in their eyes. They're saying, that is un... You, you believe that? My brother, before he came to faith, I was at a wedding back east with him, my older brother, and he said, now, my, our cousin Ronnie, he says that you believe, and it was like this, you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back? Neil, you don't believe that, do you? And I says, yeah, well, that's what the Bible says, Fred. And he said, you're crazy. Well, he came to faith later on. But, it, you know, oftentimes that happens. Now, let me share a story. There was, this is a true story. There was a Japanese fishing boat that had a distress call. This was many years ago. And when the Coast Guard, in a helicopter, the Japanese Coast Guard got to the Sea of Japan where they were where the, the vessel was crying out for, for help, they found the vessel overturned with the fishermen clinging to the side of the hull. And they rescued him and th- got him to land. And when they got him to land, they asked him, what happened? What happened to your fishing boat? And every one of the fishermen told this story. And this is the story they told. We were fishing along, and it's a clear blue sky, and a big cow fell out of the sky and hit the boat and capsized it and caused this Jews' wreck, and that's what happened. Wait, wait, wait. wait. A cow fell out of a clear blue sky and capsized your boat. Yes. A cow. Clear blue sky. Yes. That's unbelievable. And they arrested him because they figured, ah, there's something going on here that we just can't figure out. Well, let me read you the end of the story. On the same day that the ship sank, a Russian cargo plane was preparing to take off from an airfield in eastern Russia. Before takeoff, the crew of the plane noticed a cow grazing beside on the runway, hungry for the expensive meat. 
They dragged the cow into the cargo hold and took off, intending to have a feast at their destination. Once in the air, the disoriented cow went berserk, thrashing and kicking at anything and anyone it could reach. Before the cow could do any serious damage, the crew opened the cargo house and pushed the cow out at 30,000 feet over the sea of Japan. (laughs) That's crazy. That could never happen. A cow sinking a fishing boat? That's nuts. Now, as we read our story this morning, we're going to see, you're going to see some things that's like, uh, really? I find that hard to believe. Uh, I think it's easier to believe what's written in the Bible than a cow falling on a fishing boat in the middle of the ocean. But let's take a look. We're going to take uh, this particular portion of Scripture. There's 19 verses, so we'll take it in small sections. But let's first pray. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God and how it ministers to us, even when the world, a majority, sometimes a majority of the people that we even talk to don't believe it, and yet it has brought us life. Life. May that happen this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. The first witness is not a living witness. It is the resurrected Jewish temple. It's a witness. Now, these are... Two small verses here, but notice what it says. John, as he's seeing this vision, he is told to go and measure the temple, but it's not the temple in heaven. It's not the temple in heaven. It's a temple in the holy city. Now, what this says is as we move through the book of Revelation and we get to the portion where we're coming to the end, we're coming to the second coming of Christ, it declares, the Bible declares, that there will be a Jewish temple. And it'll be rebuilt. There's no Jewish temple there today. There'll be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Pastor Rob, last week, in Daniel chapter 9, talked about it. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus Christ himself talks about a rebuilt Jewish temple towards the end of the time. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 also speaks about a rebuilt Jewish temple in which the Antichrist takes an idol of himself and puts it in a temple and tells people to worship him. That's what the Bible declares. That's what the Bible declares. Now, when we were last time in Israel, we came across a group of people who are preparing items that will go in the temple. There are Orthodox Jewish people who are fully waiting for the time when their temple could be rebuilt. The last time was with Pastor Chuck Smith. Many years ago, he took a group of pastors and their wives. We were in uh, Jerusalem, and we were able to go to the Temple Mount. We are actually able to go to the Temple Mount. Now at times, uh, the way that the tensions are, you can't get. But we were able to go to the Temple Mount. And he took us to the place where he said, this is where the Holy of Holies is. And he was standing right on it. He says, you want to stand where the Holy of Holies is going to be? It's right here, because you can look right through. And if the Eastern Gate was open... You could see right through the eastern gate. And he says, look, there's room 
for the temple to be built, the Jewish temple to be built, without the mosque of Omar, that big golden dome thing that belongs to the Muslims, there's plenty of room for the Jewish temple to be built without them destroying the mosque of Omar. And his point was, this is what Pastor Chuck says, I believe that what empowers the Antichrist is his ability to make a covenant. Uh, Does that sound familiar? A covenant with the Jewish people in which they are able to build their temple and the Muslims will be okay with it. He'll be able to make peace. Now, if you know anything about Jerusalem, one of the most difficult issues that they struggle with over and over again is this thing called the Temple Mount. Oftentimes there's riots because of uh, restrictions on some people who are able to go in there. Pastor Chuck believed, and I believe he's right, that the Antichrist is able to make this covenant, and with this covenant there's peace between the Arabs and the Jewish people, and they're able to build the temple. That's what he's talking about here. But did you notice the 42 months? Remember what Pastor Rob talked about last week? He makes a covenant for seven years, but at three and a half years, he breaks the covenant. Why does he break the covenant? Why does he break the covenant within 42 months? Because he puts an idol of himself, and he declares that people should worship The temple is central is central to much of the turmoil that goes on in Jerusalem today, and it will be there as we reach the end of the age. How can this be a witness? It can be a witness because it validates the truth of God's word. Is it going to happen? I believe it's going to happen. I don't think I'm going to be seeing this temple when it's built. I'm hoping your theology might allow you to be here, and I hope you have a wonderful time watching them build the temple, but I'm not planning on being here at that time. So what's the first witness? The first witness is not a person, but it's a place. It's the Jewish temple. It will be built, and it will be a sign for those who are around. The second witness, let's read verses uh, 3 through 14, verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. Once again, three and a half years. Did you notice that? These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So that if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss, that Satan, will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look on their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. They will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after three days and a half days, the breath of life 
from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven, and the cloud and their enemies watched them. In that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified, and they gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. The second witness, the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Verses 3 through 14. Now, this section deals with two witnesses, two men who were powerfully used by the Lord during those last three and a half years. Now, we need to consider a couple of issues that these verses bring up. First of all, they're identified as two olive trees and two lampstands. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does that mean? Well, if you go back to the book of Zechariah chapter 4, in this time, the Jews had returned from Babylon, they had rebuilt the temple, they had reestablished the city of Jerusalem, and there were two men, two men. There was Joshua, who was the governor, and there was Zerubbabel, who was the high priest, who was the spiritual leader. And these two men were being powerfully used to uh, reconnect the people of the, of the Lord to the land and reestablish their relationship to the Lord. And Zechariah has this vision, and he sees these two olive trees supplying oil to the lampstands. And he says, Zechariah says to the Lord, what are, what are these? What, what is this meaning? And he says, here's the scripture. We all know, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. What he was saying is, this, these men, Joshua and Zerubbabel, were being anointed by the oil, the picture of the oil of the Holy Spirit. They were anointed and powerful, filled with the Holy Spirit, being used by the Lord to encourage, to uplift, and to minister to the people of Jerusalem, having returned from Babylon. Now, notice verse 5 and 6. We see what seems like, wow, that's pretty heavy, Neil. Fire comes out of their mouth. They have power to shut up the sky so it won't rain. Um, They have power to turn the waters to blood, strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. Now, as we read this, the first thing that comes to your mind, there's two other men that come to your mind, and they are who? Moses and Elijah. Why do we say Moses and Elijah? Well, think about this. Okay, Elijah, he got taken up in the chariots of fire. Remember that? He just disappeared. He went up to God. Now, Moses, if you remember, if you read the end, there were some questions about what happened to Moses' body. Do you remember that? So many people feel, many people feel that this, these two men are Moses and Elijah resurrected. Do you remember also who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Did you recognize, especially in verse 6, many of the things that these two witnesses will do are the very things that Moses and Elijah did. It's a good possibility that they're Moses and Elijah. The text doesn't say. Whoever they are, they are men of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be powerful witnesses for the Lord during the last, get this, three and a half years again. Here we are again. During that time when the Antichrist puts that 
image of himself, declares himself to be God, during that very difficult time, these two witnessed for the Lord. However, did you notice what they're dressed in? Did you see that? Verse 3, they're dressed in sackcloth. Hmm. What does sackcloth mean? Oh, not a good sign. Now, also notice in verse 10, everybody celebrates when they're killed because they tormented those on the earth. These guys are not warm and fuzzy. Their message is not a happy, clappy message. As a matter of fact, what they're doing is they're proclaiming the day of judgment that soon will come upon the earth. They're proclaiming the truth of God. But it's not a warm, fuzzy message. It's a very powerful message that people need to repent because the judgment of God is about to fall. That's their ministry. That's their ministry. Now, when um, they finish their ministry, it says, when they have finished their ministry, verse 7, the beast that comes out of the abyss, that is Satan, kills them. Their dead bodies lay in the streets for three and a half days. Three and a half again. We got this. Then suddenly they are taken up. They're taken up. There's an earthquake. 7,000 people in the city of Jerusalem are killed. Then it says the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. What this seems to indicate is we're getting very, very close in the book of Revelation to the second coming of Jesus. As a matter of fact, in verse 15, and we'll read that in just a moment, the seventh angel sounds. Now you remember, when we started all the way back, Revelation chapter 4, there was a book that was taken out of the hand of the one who sat on the throne. It was taken by Jesus. And there was how many seals? Seven seals. When the seventh seal was broken, what happened? We found out the seventh seal was really seven trumpets. And guess what? Here we are, chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 11. The seventh angel sounds the trumpet. We're going to find out that the seventh trumpet is seven bowls of wrath, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So let's read verses 15 through 19. So first witness is the reconstructed Jewish temple that will proclaim the truth of God's word so everybody can see it. The second witness are these two powerful men Indicated as olive trees, two lampstands that stand for the truth of God's word and proclaim the coming judgment of God just prior to the second coming of Christ. Let's go on. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty who are, who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. And the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder, 
an earthquake and a great hailstorm. What we see in verses 15 through 19, the events that follow these witnesses, the events that follow these witnesses. Now, right after the seventh trumpet blows in verse 15, several things begin to happen. Notice with me. Verse 15, there's an announcement that the world has become the kingdom of God, a kingdom of the Lord. The process is now beginning. It no longer belongs to Satan, but suddenly this world belongs to the Lord. Verse 16, in heaven, it says the church, the rapture church, represented by the 24 elders, begins to worship the Lord. Verse 18, the announcement is made that the time has come for the judgment for those who destroy the earth and for rewards to those who have served the Lord. Then in verse 19, the temple of God in heaven is opened and there's a, some, there's a sense that something big is about to happen. That's the point. All of a sudden, there's, something's going on. Something big is about to happen. Now, what I maintain is we're right at the precipice of Jesus coming back. Why do I say that? You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Pastor Neil, we're in chapter 11. Now, if I remember right, the second coming of Christ is in chapter 19, the millennium is in chapter 20, and the eternal state is in chapter 20, 21 and 22. Well, how does this work? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, next four chapters, in those chapters will be described things that take place during those last three and a half years. It, the calendar won't move forward. Action won't move forward. Just, he's going to take some time and he's going to explain some events that happen during the last three and a half years. Well, that takes us to chapter 16. In chapter 16, we have the seven bowls of wrath and they are like this. Boom, 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 boom. Right away, right away. The wrath of God falls upon the earth. Chapter 17 is the false religious system of the Antichrist, which is destroyed. Then chapter 18 is the economic system of the Antichrist, which is destroyed. Chapter 19, boom. We're at the second coming. So right here, when he says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of our Lord, has, has this world has become our Lord's, they're right. It, it's going to happen within that quick. Okay. So we have the first witness, the reconstructed Jewish temple. The second witness, the two olive trees, the two powerful witnesses. Then in verses 15 through 19, we have the events following their witness. Okay. What are some lessons we can learn from this? How does this apply to us? What can we learn? Is there anything that's applicable to us here? Uh, Three things, perhaps. First of all, we see in verse 7, the length of our witness. Did you notice when their ministry was finished, they were taken out? But not until then. God had a time. Now, somebody said we have a, an expiration, each one of us have an expiration date on us. You know, like you get the milk carton and it says, used before March 15th. Each one of us have an expiration date on us. And you're not going anywhere until it's God's time. And, 
And that gives us a sense of confidence because God's not going to take you out. God's not going to allow you to whatever, to pass away until your time is ready. You have to have that confidence in that. These guys, they had three and a half years and they fulfilled their ministry. So, the other application here in this, in this aspect is there's a time that God has given you, maybe uh, at school, maybe at your place of work, maybe at your place of, maybe with someone in your family. There's an opportunity, there's like, remember Paul, he always prayed, pray for me that the, the Lord has opened the door of ministry. Remember him using that phrase? Oftentimes there's a time in your life with either a person or a people, or a place where God has given you an opportunity, an open door to ministry. Don't pass it up, because oftentimes what will happen is that person will go away, you'll move on, you'll get a new job, you'll move to another neighborhood, and you've missed that opportunity for witness. There's an opportunity, there's a window, there's a door for you. Use that. Because oftentimes the Lord will put you in the right spot with the right person with the right word that that person needs to hear. There's a time for your witness. Use that. Second lesson is the reality of our victory. Now, it almost seems like everybody in the world is saying, oh, good, those, those two witnesses are dead. We won. Did they win? No, they didn't win. Those two witnesses, even though the world was partying and giving gifts to one another, those two witnesses were victorious. Now, there's a parallel here. Do you remember the ministry of John the Baptist? John the Baptist, powerful minister, right? What happened to him? He got to messing with King Herod, talking about some funny stuff that was going on in his family, and what did he do? He lost his head. He got killed. Everybody said, John the Baptist's ministry is finished. What a, what a loser. No, no, no. He was a voice, what? Crying out in the wilderness saying, what? Make straight the way of the Lord. Did he, was he victorious? Yes. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Also about three and a half years. Everybody, when he's hanging on the cross, said, hey, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, come down. Save yourself. What a loser. Did he lose? No, he was victorious. His ministry was completed. Now, oftentimes, it seems lately that the bad guys get to victory. Amen? Everybody, we're just marching right along. I read this morning. This is, I can't believe we must be insane in this country. I think we're insane. The people in this is, that they are saying to all the judges in California, they're passing this, trying to pass this thing, that they cannot be involved with any nonprofit youth organizations. They have to sever their ties with nonprofit youth organizations. Anybody who's a judge in California. You know who they're going after? They're going after the judges who are members of the Boy Scouts. Do you see what they're doing? It's crazy. It seems like they win all the time. Are they winning? No, my friends, they are losing. And that will soon, very soon, become apparent. So don't, don't despair. Don't despair. Even though it seems like the enemies of Christ are winning, they're actually losing. They're losing. Third thing that we need to see here 
really quickly, is the response. Do you notice everybody has a party when those two witnesses go? Everybody has a party. Now, what we have to see is our response. Oftentimes you talk to a person and it's like talking to a wall. Have you ever had one of those experiences? They're just not receiving whatever you have. Now here's something you have to, you have to keep in mind, guys. Keep this in mind. You're not responsible for winning anybody to the Lord. Did you know that? That, free, that is such a freeing concept. You're not responsible. What are you responsible to do? To share the truth, to speak the word of God, to speak the truth in love, to share the word. Is that not what you're supposed to do? To give the testimony of what Jesus has done in your own life and what he has done. The rest is up to, one, the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to their hearts and also the decision that they have to make whether to say yes or no to Jesus Christ. You are not responsible What are you responsible for? You're not responsible for their response. You're responsible for you speaking the truth. Is that not true? Of course it is. Now, as a pastor over the years, I've had the unfortunate task sometimes of having to rain on people's parade. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't, you know me, I don't stick my nose into your business. Okay, I'm not, I get enough trouble in my own life, so I go bothering you and your problems? No. But if somebody asks me, hey, what do you think about this? I try as best I can to take the Holy Scriptures and advise them from what the Scriptures say. And uh, from time to time, I've had to, what I call, rain on people's parade. And I'll have to say, uh, uh, friend, (laughs) that might not be the best way. Now, oftentimes, they get up in a huff and leave for one reason or another. And I can understand that. But I try as best I can to speak the truth in love. But I have no control over how they do it. Now, sometimes they get up in a huff, but then I've, a couple of times I've had them come back and say, you were, you were, you were right, Pastor. And it's not that I'm right. It's the word of God is right. You need to speak the truth. Speak it in love. Don't be judgmental. Don't be critical. Don't be hyper-legalistic. Just tell the truth in love. And then the response is really has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them, their hearts, and the power of the Holy Spirit to get through to them and speak to their hearts. Okay, some things we can learn. I'll close with this silly story. There's two men, they're in a zoo, one of them is from Czechoslovakia. And suddenly, uh, as they're passing where the bears are, a bear, a big bear, grabs him and eats the guy from Czechoslovakia. Well, the, his friend runs over to the, the zookeeper and says to him, hey, uh, my friend just got eaten by the bear. And he said, which one was it? Was it the male or the female bear? And he says, I think it was the male. So they go over there and they shoot the male and they open the bear up. Ah, he's not there. So they said, oh, it must have been the female. So they shoot the female bear, he opened up, and sure enough, the man from Czechoslovakia is in the female bear. And you know what the story teaches? Don't believe anybody who says the check is in the mail. The check is in the mail. What, is, what does that story have to do with this? Well, I really had a stretch to get the application here. <laughs> Words are important. Words are important. And words are much more important when they're followed through by actions. 
true actions. Okay, here's two applications. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about witnessing? We talked about the tracks. Remember I told you about the tracks that we have? How if it's hard for you to witness, you know, you know, sometimes it's hard to get started. For me, at the same time, if somebody shows some interest, then I, I can get started. But for me, making that jump from, hey, how about those Dodgers, to, uh, to the next step of you should receive Christ, getting that, it's hard for me. Sometimes, if you're like me, the easy way to do it is when you go to a restaurant, when you go to a restaurant, leave a big tip, leave over 20% tip, slide it in to the track and leave it on the table. That, it's easy. That's the, that's the no-brainer. That's the idiot's way of witnessing. Okay? How are we doing with that? Did you pick up some tracks? I'm, I'm telling you guys, you'd be surprised. You know how I got saved? I told you how I got saved. Somebody left the track in a phone booth. I picked it up. I said, oh, that's interesting. I looked back and I went to that church a week later and I got saved. You'd be surprised how the Lord can use these tracks. Okay, now I have this track here. I, I don't think it's out there any, any, anymore, but it's your first six days in hell. Oh, that's a great track. Okay, now, now I'm going to go. Here's witnessing for dummies. Okay. Almost all of us, almost all of us know somebody who's a Christian, okay, who's a Christian who's not attending church, right? Probably almost what, 99% of us? Isn't that true? We know people, they say they're Christians, uh, but they're not going to church. Included in your bulletin, I put these little cards. You're wondering why I put those. Why do they? Here's what I want to challenge you. Now, so there's no challenge. They already, they already believe in Christ, right? It's a no-brainer. They're not going to church. You know what you do? Say, hey, why don't you join me this Sunday at Calvary Chapel? Here it is. Now, it's got, we're restarting up our anchored college ministry in March, so this is true here. So it's got all the times, and the, you know, everything's right here. It's even got a map, and it's got the website and everything. Isn't that really hard to do? Somebody who's, who's not going to a church, not attending a church, and just say, hey, why don't you join me this Sunday at church? See, now that, why am I doing this? It whets your appetite for seeing people come alive in the Lord. And so the easy way to start is with somebody who's already Christian. It's a no-brainer. There's no challenge. But when they come to Christ, when they come to the church and maybe come alive again, get excited about the things of the Lord, you know what it'll do? It'll kind of whet your appetite. And maybe, 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 some people like me and you can begin to share Christ with those who don't know Christ. You know why it's important? Because we're called to be witnesses. We're called to share the love of Christ. If somebody hadn't left the track in that phone booth, what could have happened? I don't know. But somebody did. There's people that need Christ. There's people that need a good Bible teaching church. Why not invite them? Why not invite them? And whet your appetite for being a witness. Something to consider. Something to think about. Something to do. But I'm not being legalistic. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the word of God. What it means to us. How it's changed us. How it's taken us from death to life. We pray that we might hear 
what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen.